You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore daddy. Well, we're in a little bit of a weird period, primarily because what I'd like to do is kind of move off of Jordan Love. I know that's the main thing everybody wants to talk about, but again, it's not really the most centrally important aspect. Um, I have some thoughts on Jordan. We've kind of exhausted those thoughts for the most part. But the reason it's difficult to just completely move on is I don't know that he's not our quarterback next Sunday. And if he is, then we kind of got to talk about it a little bit. But I do want to illustrate something here. Um, And I'm I'm somewhat repeating myself, but again, just to kind of hammer home a certain point. And this is in regard to Jordan Love. I didn't watch the whole Bears game yesterday. I saw uh, the first half and it was a complete disaster. It was 14-3. The Bears barely got three points. Um, but I did notice Justin Fields starting to pick up some steam. Now, Justin Fields, I don't think, did necessarily anything other than what I think he's been doing all year, which is, and I'm talking first half, I didn't see the second half still to this point in time, but it was largely when he has time and when somebody's open, he delivers a great ball. So maybe it was kudos to the scheme, whatever. It doesn't matter. The point is, though, I thought on the final drive or two drives, he looked pretty good, probably the best that I've seen him. As I'm looking at him at his stats now, 17 of 29, 291 yards, a touchdown, and a pick. I said, what, yesterday, that I don't think Justin Fields has had a single game that you could argue was better than what Jordan Love did on Sunday. This one is, right? It's one touchdown, one pick, plus that one pick is iffy in terms of it, it being entirely his fault, although I, I don't know why it wouldn't be. I mean, a batted pass slash pick is still technically on the quarterback, but Okay, let's say it's not. Point is, this was his best game, statistically speaking, for sure. And just the fact, oh, excuse me, I got a cough. Trying to fight it off instead of hitting pause every five seconds. I'm just going to go to war with it. The fact that they came back and scored 21 points in the fourth quarter um, to nearly beat the Steelers, apparently, 27-29 was the final score, tells me something kind of heroic happened, right? The offense was clearly working. Any team scoring 21 points in a quarter is impressive. Now, again, I didn't, you know, I don't know. Was it, you know, short field, five yards here? You know what? I'm I'm just going to look real quick. Let me just get caught up for a second. So first touchdown in the fourth quarter, 10 plays, 75 yards, a minute, six seconds. Is that possible? (laughs) And I'm seeing a nine-yard pass, a 39-yard pass, and then a touchdown pass to Mooney. But this doesn't, this is not adding up. Okay, special teams blunder, so NFL.com is useless. That gave him seven. All right, so he got 14 points, whatever. 15-yard pass to Mooney, 
and then another 16-yard pass to Mooney for a touchdown. All right, I feel like I'm pretty well caught up now. No, that was a run. Now I'm caught up. Anyways, here's the point. I just didn't want to say he did a great job, and turns out it was a bunch of defensive picks or whatever. But it said one touchdown, one pick, so we get the point. Jordan Love, first of all, that's not the greatest thing in the world. 291, a touchdown and a pick is, I mean, if that was Aaron Rodgers, that's kind of a bad day, right? I mean, just realistically. I mean, for Pat Mahomes, even, you know, I mean, it might be normal for him this year, but that's the problem. Russell Wilson, it's a bad day. Josh Allen, that's a bad day. Not as bad as the day he actually had on Sunday, but it's a bad day. But the point is, Justin Fields has played nine games. He started seven games. It was his ninth game and his seventh start before he played a game that was just barely better than what Justin Fe- or Jordan Love did on last Sunday. And again, I'm going to say this for the 500th time. Justin Fields might be a very, very, very good quarterback at some point in the future. He's still not. He's showing slow, gradual signs of improvement. If that continues, he may be a very good quarterback. And I've pointed to the example of um, Lamar Jackson. Terrible first year, MVP second year. And then, you know, a slight regression, but still, still the quarterback. How about uh, Josh Allen? He was a joke his first year. People laughed at him. People laughed at Buffalo for taking Josh Allen, mocking him. And I maybe slightly, partially have been one of them. Not speaking from authority, but just generally aware of the fact that grabbing a guy because he has a cannon for an arm is not necessarily the greatest strategy in the world. But look at that now. Starting in year two, or was it year, it might even been year three. Let me check. Yeah, my bad. It was year three for Josh Allen. And, you know, you know, and again, it just, it, it boggles the mind that um, after one start midseason, when he has not been groomed or prepared to be the starter, like Josh Allen, like Justin Fields, like all these other guys, they get all the starter reps, they build the offense around this kind of player. He's been the starter since Wednesday. They built a game plan around Aaron Rodgers and then had to throw it in the garbage and then try to recreate something. And the guy has... No familiarity with any of this stuff. People are like, he's been in this system for how long now? How, how many opportunities has he had to actually run it? As the backup quarterback, he's playing scout team, which means he has to go pretend to be Pat Mahomes. He has to go pretend to be all these other quarterbacks. So yeah, he knows the play, but has he done any reps practicing this particular play, which is our play with our starting players? No. Josh Allen in 2018 had a 65 overall grade. Josh Allen in 2019 had a 64 overall grade. In 2020, 90.3 overall grade. It took three years. Can you imagine if the Buffalo Bills reacted like Packer fans did, and this is not hyperbole, he would have been gotten rid of in week two when he had a 38.6 overall grade against the Chargers. 18 completions of 33 attempts, 245 yards, a touchdown, and two interceptions. 38.6 overall grade. And again, He was bad all year. He had, uh, let's see, one, two, three good games, four good games, one elite game against Miami. The rest was um, 30s. He had a 28 when he played the Packers, 28, which is worse than than what uh, Jordan Love had. But they didn't panic. After an entire year of, hey, this guy's not very good, they didn't panic and they stuck with him, even though everybody's laughing at him and, ha-ha, you picked Josh Allen, you're stupid, you picked the guy just because he has a strong arm. You thought he was going to be, like, good because he can throw it 80 yards from his knees. You guys are dumb. 2019, same thing. Week one of year two, right? This is going to be his big bounce back. This is, this is when things change. He goes up against the Jets, who are a terrible team. 
24 of 37, 254, at one touchdown, two picks, 52 overall grade. Packer fans would be losing their freaking minds. This guy's trash. Worst pick in NFL history. This, I can't believe they'd, number seven overall pick, and this is what you get. All these quarterbacks available, and you pick this one. <laughs> Year three, week one, 64 overall grade. Here we go again. Here we go again. The guy just can't do it. Follows it up with an 81, an 85, a 91. He ended the season with a 90 overall grade, one of the best quarterbacks in football. Still real good this year. Year three, dude. Listen, Pat Mahomes right out of the gate was a stud. Not everybody is Pat Mahomes. Aaron Rodgers was not Pat Mahomes. It was year four. Year four for him. Everybody points to Aaron Rodgers in his first start. Oh, look, he won his first game. Yeah, he won his first game. He played okay. I think he ended the season with like a 70 overall grade. He was fine in year four of the system, having played, you know, not started, but played, what, four or five games now? And then in year two, he picked it up. You know, Devontae. Devontae was not good. And we, we go through these examples all the time. All the time we go through all these examples, and everybody knows it. Should we go back to Calais Campbell, where it was year, what, seven, when he finally broke out? It wouldn't be impossible if he was just out of the league before everybody found out he's one of the best pass rushers in football. Imagine that. Everybody just gives up on him. and like, nah, he just he's not that good, dude. I just don't want him. Which, by the way, has probably happened before. There have probably been guys that just couldn't quite, unbelievably talented, couldn't quite figure it out. Look at all the first-round picks that just bust out of the NFL after two, three, four, five years. And you know that if somebody in the right situation, the right team with the right coaches and everything is just right, this guy would have been a stud. But he just couldn't find that spot, and everybody's like, I just don't feel like dealing with it. I don't, I don't trust it. I don't want to try to figure it out. You know, Jalen Smith, the linebacker, maybe if we stuck with him, maybe he could have got it. But I think given the situation, it was kind of a short-term rental anyways. Um, I don't know how serious we were in keeping him, but, you know, I, look, it, it's very simple. When we drafted Jordan Love, it was irrational to assume he'd be the next Aaron Rodgers. Because most people that you pick are just not studs automatically. It doesn't matter if it's quarterback, corner, but same with Stokes. Do I think Stokes is going to be Jair? No. But he might be. I don't know. It'd be awesome if he was. Jair became Jair. It was irrational to think Jair would become Jair. People got mad at me because I said he broke out in year three. Everybody wanted to... I think people are just in argumentative mode right now. I, I try to say nice things that are not argumentative, and everybody wants to argue about stuff. It blows my mind. You can just tell Twitter is really in a bad mood when... I'm trying to be positive, and people are like, well, uh, technically. Like, dude, just, it's not, it's not really the point. Just come up with a different example then. Just ignore that example. You don't have to fight about everything. But it was. I mean, year one, I know we talked about Jair being real good, but he gave up a lot. I mean, he was giving up like 100-yard games. Year two, same thing. Like, he would, you'd show flashes, but then he'd give up like 110 yards in one game. I mean, he, he was giving up more yards than most um, corners. And he's never really been big on picks. So when you're giving, giving up a ton of yards and you're not getting picks, yeah, he didn't grade. So his grades were like 60, 60, 90, or I think it was 70, 70, 90. So, I mean, it was, it was I'm not saying he was terrible. I'm just saying Jair didn't become Jai freaking air, best corner in all of football in his rookie year. That's silly. And it certainly wasn't year two either. It was year three. There's a very, very stark contrast between rookie year, second year, and third year. Rashawn, now, you could argue that it hasn't been that big of a, of a drastic change. He's just getting more opportunities, so the stats are following. But I would argue that he is getting better. The, there's more consistency. Um, the grades are following the stats a little bit more. And I do think the stats are just better. They're, they're continuing to get better. 
But again, it's it's my assumption about Jordan Love prior to the game was that I know somewhere deep down is is a talented guy that could probably be a very good quarterback someday because we've seen that in college. We've seen those those sort of Pat Mahomesian attributes. The Aaron, Rod- I mean, he looks like Aaron Rodgers sometimes in college football. It's funny when people talk about his college tape saying, oh, yeah, you could tell he was garbage because you watch him in college. Dude, you just turned on his LSU game and then turned it off. That's all you did. I, I know that you didn't go through all his games because if you watch pretty much every any other game except LSU, which is stupid, when you got like basically an NFL team against a high school team and he's trying to just make something happen with wide receivers that have zero ability to get open in an offensive line that's just getting embarrassed. Actually kind of sounds like the game that we just played for some reason. But but despite the the talent and all that stuff that's there, my assumption coming in was that the odds are not necessarily in his favor of becoming a great quarterback because it's not in anybody's favor. Not because of him. Anytime somebody picks a quarterback, if you say, I know that guy's going to be great, doesn't matter if it's Trevor Lawrence or Trevor Simeon, you're probably wrong. Now, you're, you're, you're much closer to 50% with a guy like Trevor Lawrence, but the odds are just not in your favor. It doesn't matter who you pick. Every single year during the draft, we look at like the top five prospects and we know we just know these are going to be the best players in all of football, best quarterback, pass rusher, tackle, whatever whatever other positions we go top three, and that's about it. We just know. And then it, the funny thing is if we actually revisit those and be like, dude, remember how great this guy was supposed to be? We, we just, it's like we just put it out of our mind like it never happened. Like, I, I wasn't that big on him or whatever. Remember how Chase Young was going to be the next great, like he was basically Lawrence Taylor. Nobody even mentions his name. Now, sometimes you get, you know, Nick Bosa, and Nick Bosa is still Nick Bosa. He's a freak for sure. But we, I mean, we do this every year. So Jordan Love is, is just like everybody else, except nobody liked Jordan Love for some reason. And it's obviously because of the Aaron Rodgers dynamic, which, you know, again, that's really what this is all about. But let's just pretend that people are actually being rational or trying, making some attempt to be rational. They're not just emotional about the fact that this is the reason Aaron Rodgers wants to leave, and that makes me sad. My thought process about Jordan Love prior to this game was long shot that he becomes the next great quarterback, but maybe. Guess what my position is today? Long shot that he becomes the next great quarterback, but it's possible. It didn't move the needle hardly at all. By the way, this is true if he balled out also. Do you really believe Mike White is going to be the next uh, Josh Allen? Is that his name, Mike White, the Jets guy that's been playing pretty well? I mean, is that what we think? Or are we just acknowledging sometimes crazy stuff happens in the NFL? The point is, if Jordan Love had balled out, we'd all be real excited. We'd all be saying, dude, maybe he's got it. We'd all be completely overreacting. But Bears fans and Vikings fans and everybody else would be trying to bring us back down to earth, and they'd be more right than wrong. Because sometimes crazy stuff just happens. One game just doesn't give you a ton of information. Was it encouraging? Absolutely not. Nobody can look at that and go, dude, I I, personally, I saw a guy that that I think is going to be the next great quarterback. There's no no way you saw that. But, I mean, people are making absolute determinations, and that's incorrect, and that's not debatable. It's just not. It's no different than turning on one game of, of college tape and saying we should or shouldn't draft a guy. Like a GM watches one game and he's like, dude, that guy's amazing, which, by the way, is mostly what we do. Even guys who do this um, semi-professionally, you know, the the... And I'm not trying to pick on them. There, there's some extremely talented guys who do draft content. They'll tell you they generally watch between like one and three games per prospect because they're going through hundreds and trying to make determinations. I'm sorry, but I just, I don't think that's good enough. I think it helps if you have, for example, PFF, where you can, before you choose which games, 
you look for certain characteristics, look for their best, look for their worst, and maybe look for something in between or some kind of a thing like that so you can get a fuller picture. But if you're just grabbing three, you know, for example, the, the only time I watched Jordan Love before we drafted Jordan Love, I went to Google or YouTube, typed in Jordan Love verse, which is what I normally do. And LSU was at the top and I watched him and just thought this dude's trash. But I wasn't putting a lot of effort because I didn't think we were going to pick the guy. I was just going through quarterback prospects, getting like a general quick thought in my head of what Jordan Love was. After we drafted him, I went and watched all of his games, like literally everything that we had on him. And then I went back into 2018 and my mind just exploded. Like, dude, this guy is freaking good. So, I mean, if, if you're really upset and you think, well, he's trash because look what he did in college, go watch any game from 2018. Or not not 20. When, when I'm, am I thinking of the right... Man, I don't know what day it is, so I get these things confused. Was it 2018? Yeah, it was 2018. And, and that's not to say he didn't have bad games, but I'm, I'm willing to bet if you pick, pick three games from 2018, and if you... Let, let, let's do what I said. Let's do a high, a low, and an average. Um, so his worst game was against Wyoming, if you can find it. So Wyoming or New Mexico State, those were his two worst games. Um, his best game was UNLV or New Mexico, pick one of those two. And then um, middle would be like Air Force, San Jose State, or Michigan State. Those are the three kind of median. His overall grade was an 83.5. So if you want to find a game that represents his overall grade that PFF gave him, he had an 83 overall grade against Hawaii. That's sort of like his, what PFF says he is, go watch him against Hawaii. That's basically what that is. So there you go, high, low, and average. UNLV is high, Wyoming is low, and then go watch Hawaii to, to kind of get what his overall grade was via PFF. If you care, I'm, I'm just saying, if you're looking for something to do, there you go. There's something. And um, but, but again, if we're being completely rational about this, and I know that that's not generally what we're trying to do, the only conclusion is we were hoping for better, but we don't really know much else. And so, I mean, if you, if you look at what uh, Carson Palmer, JJ posted it, if you want to go see the video, maybe let me just play it for you. This is, I'll give a shout out to JJ anyways, because that's where I found it. But let me just play this for you. Because again, people are given their insights and it's not as like black and white as we make it. Like you should be better. Well, okay, let's listen to an actual career backup quarterback or not necessarily career, but for a big portion of his career, Carson Palmer. People always say that backup quarterback is the best job in the world. I was one for a long time, but I don't know if that's necessarily true. Look, here's the deal. In big time college football and in the NFL, I think being a backup quarterback is really hard. Now, the wear and tear on your body, eh, you don't play a lot. The preparation for the games, though, no different than it is for the starter. The difference is, is especially in the NFL, backup quarterbacks don't get any reps during the season. I can think of times that I was, when I was a backup in the Cincinnati Bengals, and we had Chad Ochocinco at receiver and Terrell Owens at receiver. Any casual fan would go, oh my gosh, just throw it up it'll be a touchdown but the reality is is both those guys ran the same route a little bit differently their bang eights were a little different angle their digs were a little different their speeds were different so i remember being more nervous about going in a game and throwing to those two guys because i never got reps with them than i was about the defense that we were playing that week so being a backup quarterback anyways the video got cut off there but you, you get the point i'm sorry that the music was so obnoxiously loud and kind of made his voice hard to hear but you know, again, it's, it's little stuff like that that we don't really think about, or at least try to choose not to think about, that really does make a lot of sense. Um, I was talking to this one friend, um, <laughs> inside joke, but I was talking to this one friend yesterday, but we were talking about all kinds of these different little examples, and, and one of the things that came to mind was 
2018-ish, maybe it was 2019, I don't really remember, but Rodgers was just a little bit off. I think it was 2019, it was several different years, but all his throw, like he kept missing MVS. He could not figure out MVS, and, and then he would keep yelling at MVS. And it seemed odd, but at the same time, it's like he never misses Devontae. He never really misses Lazard. It's just MVS and maybe a couple other guys. And every time you look, it's a, it's a quote-unquote bad throw. But as an example, every once in a while, you'll see uh, screens. I don't know if that's the exact term for this play, but quick pass to the wide receiver or possibly to the running back going into the flat, whatever. Point is, he's directly to Rodgers' left. And you look at the throw, and it's just he just misses. And it's like, what? How do you miss that throw? It's very simply because his job is to run straight, and he kind of went a little bit up the field. And that one yard barely drifting up the field made all the difference because you're just not quite running in the exact right direction. And so you listen to Carson Palmer, and he's talking about how not only do different receivers have different speeds and different tendencies, but even the exact same route. The exact same route, different receivers do a little bit differently. The timing is different. The angles are different. And you have to work on all that. How much time has he had with Devontae? None. None time. So all this stuff that we see with Aaron Rodgers, it's not just a matter of because Aaron Rodgers is so good. He is good. But it's not because he's just good because he's good, right? If that was the case, then fine. All those MVS throws are him just being bad. No, him being good is partially him being able to put the ball exactly where he wants it to go because of his arm talent, but it's also partially him having rapport with the wide receiver and knowing exactly where the ball needs to be. For all we know, Jordan Love put the ball exactly where he wanted it to go. He just didn't know where to put it. He's thinking, if I lay it up right in that spot, my guy's going to be right there. Turns out, not quite. He came out of his break a half a second later than he thought. He took an angle uh, a half a degree sharper than he thought. He runs two steps faster than he thought. All these little calculations, by the way, you got a guy screaming right in your face and you're trying to put a ball exactly in a spot and you're trying to guess exactly where that spot's going to be before a guy even comes out of his break. These are things that take repetition after repetition after repetition, hundreds of balls thrown at this guy over and over and over and over and over and over. What did Jordan Love do? A couple dozen before this game? So looking on into the future, and I have no idea if they're going to bring Rodgers back, if Rodgers is going to want to come back, how long he's going to be here. Is Jordan Love maybe going to take over in two years, three years, four years, five years? Is Jordan Love never going to take over and we're going to ride the sunset with Rodgers and then get a new quarterback? Is Jordan Love going to take over next year? But looking into the future, what can we expect? If Love does play against Seattle, should we expect a massive improvement? No. Why? I mean, there are some variables that can make it better. If, for example, it's possible that maybe he is a really good quarterback, but he just got ruined because the protection was so terrible, the game plan was so terrible, and once we clean all that up, he, we're going to see the true Jordan Love, which is that he's actually one of these Pat Mahomesy, and he's been good since day one. Unlikely, but okay, that's a scenario. The other scenario is he doesn't have rapport with the wide receivers. He's not fully up to speed on, on this offense. He doesn't have practice as a starter in the NFL, and it's going to take him time and reps to get up to be a great quarterback. And I, I mean, literally people on Twitter are saying, I expect the person who replaces Aaron Rodgers to be like the next great quarterback or something that, like I, I have high expectations. Why? First of all, Aaron Rodgers has no impact on how good the next guy is going to be. I mean, other than, you know, he's learning from Aaron Rodgers. So maybe you get a little bit of a bump. You pick up a couple little tidbits that maybe you wouldn't get from a lesser talented quarterback. Okay, fine. But you're putting more on Jordan Love's shoulders because of how good Aaron Rodgers is. That's silly. 
Like, well, if he was replacing some garbage quarterback, I would I would expect him to be garbage, but he's replacing Aaron Rodgers, so I expect him to be Aaron Rodgers. Like, what, what does that even mean? The Packers have not prepared Jordan Love to be the starting quarterback of the Green Bay Packers. They have not done that. They've done that with Aaron Rodgers because Aaron Rodgers is the starting quarterback of the Green Bay Packers. That's it. And and Jordan Love is, and, and by the way, saying he's not Pat Mahomes is even kind of a little bit different because he sat for a year and they groomed him to be the starting quarterback for a year. But yeah, then at, at that point, his first game, he kind of just came out swinging. So he's, he's not Pat Mahomes. Okay. All right. That's fine. Got it. Understood. By the way, I was thinking about this too. Again, just in terms of, of being fair in both directions. I was literally scared of uh, Mitch Trubisky for like three years or four years or however many years he was with the Bears. I don't mean on a game-to-game basis, but every time the new year started, it was like, what if he does clean it up? Because you see the positive. It's the same with Justin Fields. He's terrible. I talk trash. I laugh. Ha ha, Bears fans. And then next week, it's like, oh man, I hope he doesn't get real good. And then he doesn't. It's like, all right, sweet. We're still good. All right. Ha ha, you stink. Big funny joke. But But there's always that fear. Again, Josh Allen, three years. Lamar, two years. I mean, if we just go through the top 10 quarterbacks right now, Tom Brady, 2001, he had a 52 overall grade. Then in year uh, two, 2000, uh, well, whatever. (coughs) He didn't play a ton, but um, 2001, when he got some action, he was not good. Very similar, actually, to Aaron Rodgers. The first 2001, 2002, he didn't play. 2003, he didn't play very much. 2004, didn't play very much. 2005, he didn't play at all. 2006 was his first time. So he was many, many years sitting on the bench. And he had a 72 overall grade, very similar to Aaron Rodgers. He didn't play, didn't play, didn't play, didn't play. Finally played, and then was just kind of good, but not great. Then his second year, 94 overall grade. In fact, it was one of his best years ever. One, two, he's only had two years that were better, and that's 2016, 2017. So his second year as a starter was sort of his best year ever, if you're going based on PFF grades. Although he's had a bunch of years right around the 90 range, very similar including right now, 91.3 overall grade, obviously. Although his last three games have been his three worst, so fingers crossed. But, I mean, was, was Tom Brady a dominant quarterback when he was drafted in 2000? No, his first really good year was 2007. He was drafted in 2000. 2007 was his first really good year. Russell Wilson, real good instantly. 2012, he was drafted he played 553 snaps, had a 90.6 overall grade. In fact, it was his second highest graded season ever was his rookie season. It's different, right? Different path. Both of them right now are at the top, very different path. How about Kyler Murray? 2019, 64 overall grade. 2020, 83 overall grade. So far, 86. So a slight bump, but there's a massive improvement from year one to year two, right? And if you look at his passing grade, uh, because... Last year, he was a great runner, was primarily his grade. But if you look just at his passing grades, 61, 77, 90. Is that massive progression or what? And that's, again, that's different. With Tom, it was didn't play, didn't play, kind of crappy, didn't play, didn't play, garbage, didn't play, didn't play. Uh, played, was good, and then boom, elite, right? With uh, Russell, instantly elite. With uh, Mahomes, instantly elite. With Kyler, uh, mediocre, good, holy cow, this guy's really good. How about this wild ride? Kirk Cousins, 2012 with Washington. Didn't play very much, but man, was he looking promising. 81 overall grade. But it's one of those things, kind of one of those, you know, Mike White or whatever, where, uh, who's the other guy in Washington we played? That would be a better example, so I don't have to keep saying Mike White's name because I don't even know if that's his name. 
I don't know, but you get these guys that um, show flashes in, in little amounts, and some people freak out, and they're like, dude, he's really good, and then other people, it's like, no, he's not. Anyways, and then 2013, which is his second year, 51 overall grade. 2014, 58 overall grade. 2015 was his first time getting legitimate snaps, 70. So, D, so real good, garbage, garbage, decent in his first time kind of playing. And then he had his kind of, I guess, breakout game, first time as a starter playing real well, 2016. Again, drafted in 2012, this is 2016, 80 overall grade. Then he takes a step back in 2017 to 70. Um, Then he goes to Minnesota, 80, 84, 83. And this year so far, 90.4. Kind of all over the place. But again, very weird path to where he got and and where he is. How about Ryan Tannehill? Now there's a weird one. Uh, 68, 80, right? Year two, kind of a boom. Like, oh man, maybe this guy's going to be good. He was a number eight overall selection. Then he goes down to 75, slight regression, but he's still fine. Then he goes down again to 68. Then he goes up to 74. And then in 2018, he was drafted in 2012, 2018, um, 45 overall grade. Looks like he might've got hurt or something. He didn't play very much. He, he never actually has a lot of dropbacks. His numbers are always kind of low. Anyways, 45 overall grade, complete garbage. 2019, Tennessee picks him up. Since then, 90.2, 90.6, 90.7. Three years in a row, he's been in the 90s. Explain Ryan Tannehill to me. A guy that's been pretty much mediocre his entire career, overdrafted, no good, suddenly best in football. Well, it's because of Derrick Henry. Okay, fine. But, but again, there's all kinds of variables that somehow resulted in, uh, let's see, 2012, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19. In year eight of his career, we finally figured out how to take Ryan Tannehill from subpar to elite. In year eight. And you guys want to crucify love because of one game with like three days of practice in which there was no protection, his receivers were not getting open, and our, our head coach could not figure out how to stop a all-out blitz every single time. There were, I think, where did I just see this on Twitter? Um, This is via Zach Cruz. By my count, Jordan Love faced a free, unblocked rusher, 14 of his 34 pass attempts. Now, that's not how many pressures he faced. That's just how many times he had a guy run at him and nobody even touched him. 14 of his 34. Nearly 50% of the time when he took a snap, he had a guy running at him with nobody blocking him. That doesn't account for the amount of times that somebody did get blocked, came unblocked, and still got a pressure. That's ridiculous. But we've, we've got to figure it out. We know 100%. No, you don't. No, you don't. You either don't know a single thing about football, or you're pretending you don't know a single thing about football because you just didn't like the pick, and you want to be mad at Jordan Love, and you want to be mad at Brian Gutekunst. You're either pretending to be really stupid about this, or, you know, you're not pretending. I'm not saying it was a good performance. I'm talking about looking into the future. Should we continue? Took eight years for Ryan Tannehill. Dak Prescott, 2016, 83.7 overall grade year one. He took a couple steps back after that. He's kind of right back to where he was. But that's kind of who he was. That's, you know, the last three years, 80, 85, right now, 83. He started at an 83. So right out of the gate, Dak is who Dak is. Is he the number one quarterback in football? No. Is he a top 10 quarterback pretty much every year? Yeah. Is he good? Yeah. Has he always been good? Yeah. He's very similar to Russ, just a slightly not quite as good as Russ version of Russ. How about Justin Herbert? Started at an 80. Right now he's at a 90. He started off good day one. He still had a second year leap. (laughs) Again, it's just, these are all just different stories. Nobody has the exact same thing as everybody else. 
Everybody's got a different story, a different path, a different whatever. Joe Burrow, 75 to 85, very similar to Herbert. Started off good, even better in his second year. Matt Ryan, 80 overall grade in his rookie year. He took a step back in year two, but the point is he's kind of been at that range forever. He was a number three overall selection. He came into the NFL good. He's been good ever since with a couple slightly down years and a couple really, really good years, like when Matt LaFleur was his quarterback coach and whatnot. Finally, how about Derek Carr? 50 overall grade year one. So he's a second round pick, number 36 overall. Let's look at this because this is this is an example of a guy who was kind of picked close to where love was. I mean, we're talking maybe 10 picks later. Here are his grades. This is, this is how trash he was as a rookie. I'm going to read all of them. 45, 55, 67, 55, 72, 64, 63, 42, 50, 59, 50, 47, 78, uh, 9, 43, 54, 35. So he's hovering in that 40-50 range most of the season. In fact, one, two, three, four, five games were above the 50s. Five. Two games in the 70s. None in the 80s, none in the 90s. That was his rookie year. He was just never good. Year two, 76 overall grade. That's pretty good. Year three, 85 overall grade. He went down to a 69, back up to a 73. Since then, 79, 84, 82. So he's kind of volatile. It kind of reminds me almost of Kirk Cousins. Maybe a, a lesser version of Kirk Cousins, where his lows are even lower. His highs aren't quite as high, but he's had some. He started off slow. Took him a while to get up. Kind of had another down pat. Probably has a lot of dependence on who his wide receivers are, who his head coach is, who his offensive coordinator is, what the scheme is. Right? He's kind of dependent on these things. So you see more variability, fluctuation, and you're probably going to see that more with slightly less talented quarterbacks like Carr and Cousins, who they're upside in Tannehill. Right? Their upside can be really high, but they're very scheme-dependent. But the point is, he's been the starting quarterback, and despite all the, the crucifixion, again, the last three years, 80, 84, 85, he's been like a top-10 quarterback the last three years in a row, and probably, what, four out of his eight years in the NFL, he's been a top-10 quarterback. I know he gets crucified and a lot of hate for the, the way that the Raiders play. He's very rarely the problem, and he's top-10 again. He's number 10 out of 10. Aaron Rodgers isn't in the top-10. Derek Carr is. So again, I, I'd like to move on, and if I knew for a fact that Aaron Rodgers was coming back, we probably would just move on a little bit quicker, but this is just the reality, and it's not super, there, there isn't a lot that we can look at to really even debate. Did it go well? No. Was there really anything you can look at in that game to, to, to say Jordan Love has some talent? Probably a couple throws. There's probably a few in there that you look at and go, oh, dang. But the problem with that is every quarterback, even really bad ones, have some, oh, dang, kind of throws, right? So I'm not going to hang my hat on that. Was there a lot here to look at and say, this guy's garbage? Considering the circumstances, I don't think so. There were a couple throws that weren't great. But again, part of the issue, I think, for me is he came into this game nervous, and that didn't settle down because this defensive coordinator had a very good plan, and it was, don't ever let him get comfortable, and he didn't. And again, for me personally, I put that on the coaching staff. And if you don't, all right, that's fine. Jordan Love probably did make some mistakes. He should have thrown it to his hot read. He didn't. He had 1.7 seconds to make a decision. He made the wrong decision. Yeah, well, that's that stinks. Probably got to clean that up. Maybe they'll do it this week when they have more than like three days to prepare him for a game. Maybe now that they actually have some tape for Jordan Love to look at, they can actually sit down with him and go through some of these things and, and work out some of these kinks. Just a thought. And again, do I expect that to mean Jordan Love's going to be just baller against Seattle? No, I think he's still going to struggle. I think there's still going to be issues. 
I think there's going to be a couple Aaron throws. I think he's 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 not going to develop years worth of chemistry with Devontae because they had two dozen more throws together in practice. That's not my personal expectation. I know that's a lot of fans' expectation for him to be Aaron Rodgers because he threw to Devontae like 32 times and to build up two years, three years, five years of relationship, uh, you know, style chemistry in 32 throws. But um, I don't personally have that that level of uh, of expectation. It would be nice to see some progress. And again, if they could just clean up a couple things, number one, maybe run the ball a couple more times. Number two, figure out how to stop seven-man blitzes. Come up with some kind of a plan, anything. I don't know what it is. You're the head coach of a, of a national football team. You figure it out, because obviously you didn't last week. Design maybe a couple easier throws for, uh, for Jordan, and maybe don't put the whole game on his shoulder like we did this last week. Should we run the ball? No, man, air it out. We got this. Jordan's got this. Don't. Don't don't do that. But anyways, let's take a break and we'll come back look at a few more things. Patreon right now is just booming and I'm I'm definitely digging it. I thank you guys so much for uh, all the support. We officially this month have 18 new pledges in uh, technically eight days, but we're talking about two a day. Just yesterday we had uh, several. Thank you very much to Scott for jumping up to the ten dollar tier so he can listen to the new private exclusive podcast available to everybody who is on a $10 per month tier or higher. Thanks so much to Ray Gum for jumping in on Patreon. Thanks to Ronald for jumping up to that $10 tier. Thank you so much to uh, Douglas Murray, who I believe is a famous author. It's a privilege to have you here, Doug. It's kind of a joke, but if it, if it really is, you should reach out and let me know because uh, I want to talk to you about the fact that you should be on a $1,000 tier because I feel like you have a lot of money. Shame on you. Greedy, capitalist pig. But again, if you want to jump in, you can jump in for as little as $1 a month. You get involved in all the questions and answers, any polls that we do, and you can join the group Discord. Two bucks a month, you get uh, the podcast early and ad-free. $5 a month, you get the bonus content. I think I'm going to get my daughter involved, helping me out with that tier. She's real good with uh, photography and stuff like that, so could figure out some stuff for her to do. Also, Coach Hawn. Other kind of bonus content, that'll be at the $5 tier. $10 tier, you get in on the uh, podcast. Anything above that, I haven't really thought of anything yet. Um, I thought about that'd be a good place to do giveaways, but there's like five people above that, so it'd be like just giving stuff to those five people every month, so that would be kind of weird. I'm sure they'd be fine with it, but it's still a little weird. But uh, anyways, we'll take a break. Wait. Also, Twitter. Pack underscore daddy, pin tweet. Retweet the pin tweet. Uh, Make sure you're following me. And sign up at Pristine Auction. If you've done that, you're eligible to win a Leroy Butler signed replica Super Bowl trophy. So it's a really awesome Super Bowl trophy with like a cool graphic of Leroy Butler on the front. And he signed it. Comes with a certificate of authenticity. Go to pristineauction.com. Use promo code Packernet so that they know that it was us that sent you over there. And uh, again, retweet and follow and you're entered. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. 
Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the smooth sounds of PFF grades. Um, this is one of those where the grades are going to be somewhat annoying to some people, so I don't want to get too far into the weeds, but most people still want to hear it, so we're going to talk about it. As you probably heard, Jordan Love did grade out terribly. They gave him a 29.2 passing grade, 30.0 overall. Um, he was, last I saw, the lowest-graded quarterback of the entire week. So they obviously don't care that he had pressure in his face or anything else. They just said, this guy's trash, just straight up. Um, I had planned today to go back and watch the game, but it's already 9 o'clock in the morning. We have to pack to go down to Illinois. I may have to go buy a bathing suit because I have no idea if I have one. I mean, I know I do, but it's probably packed in a box still in the garage. I don't know. Um, Need a suit, which I think I have all that, but I I literally don't know. I don't know, but we got to get rocking here, so I don't think I have time. But I have a feeling I would come to a slightly different conclusion same is going to be I know some people, oh, yeah, it's just because you defend Jordan. There's a lot of guys on here where I'm like, mm, yeah, I don't know, boss. I mean, I trust you. I know you you know better than I do. I still think I would disagree. Just saying. Um, another guy that was graded poorly that I think we expected was Royce Newman. Um, every single time we watched a play of Jordan Love not doing something right was Royce Newman not blocking somebody. He had a 28 Pass blocking grade, a 56 run blocking grade. He's literally been one of the worst offensive linemen in football this entire year. Every week, he's been terrible. Bless me. Thank me. Um, I sneezed. It's it's fine. Bottom line, when Bakhtiari comes back, the first order of business is put him on the bench. I was real excited, too, when he was doing well in preseason. I think I did an entire episode on uh, why we shouldn't necessarily trust that, but um, this is why, <laughs> because it doesn't mean anything. But no, he's, he's been not just... Bad. I mean, it's it's been horrific. He has been just a, a sieve, um, and his run blocking grade doesn't even make up for it. It's below a sixty. 
Um, the next lowest was Lucas Patrick at center. A lot of people were saying, well, Royce wasn't good, but everybody else was real good. Nope, Lucas Patrick had a 29 overall grade. It was uh, terrible. A pass blocking grade, that is. 64 run blocking. So obviously just dominant run blocking. Uh, Lucas, I mean, and, and Lucas Patrick's done a good job, but that was a joke. Also, and I, I maybe missed it. I don't know exactly what, I don't know if Lucas got hurt or maybe he was just so bad they pulled him. Jake Hansen was in for five snaps. I'm guessing I just missed something. He probably tweaked his ankle and came out and whatever. I didn't see it, but worth noting he did. And by the way, Jake Hansen, only five snaps. All of them were passing plays, 80 overall pass blocking grade. So, you know, again, small sample size, but we went from a 29 overall grade to an 80 overall grade by switching to Jake Hansen. Jake Hansen, if you don't remember, is one of those guys that we grabbed when we went on a three-guy run. It was John Runyon, uh, Jake Hansen, and Simon Stepniak. Stepniak ended up leaving the NFL, I believe, retiring or whatever. Um, but he is a career center. He's a guy that I've been saying I'm kind of interested to see what happens if we give him some reps, whatever. He's just a center. He's not a center slash guard. He's not a center slash tackle. He's just he's just a center center. And uh, again, he did well in his limited opportunities. So something to think about. I mean, at least until our actual center comes back. But you know, whatever. Uh, the the other thing to consider is if Jake Hansen can play center maybe we want Lucas Patrick to take Royce's spot. Even if we say Lucas is still better than than Hanson, fine. Would you rather have Hanson and Patrick or Patrick and Newman? Just, again, just asking. Um, Josiah DeGuara also didn't grade out very well. He actually did do quite well as a receiver. He had the third highest receiving grade. Not that it was good, but it was a 69 overall grade, 68.5. The reason his overall grade was so low, and it was only one snap, so it's, you know, whatever, but zero pass blocking grade. In other words, he had one opportunity and must have just fell on his face or something because he did. I think I actually remember seeing a highlight of that. Somebody just ran clean around. But uh, yeah, zero pass blocking grade. Uh, 50 run blocking grade. He did that six different times. He didn't do... So his blocking is terrible, but his receiving, it's improving, right? 70, almost a 70 overall grade. Um, MVS had a 59.6, basically average, but it was below a 60, so I figured I'd mention it. Guys that did good... Aaron Jones, 69.2. We'll call that a 70. Um, His pass blocking grade, though, was a 29. So, you know, and again, on a day like today, I I just don't know if you watch JT O'Sullivan's video or whatever, there were numerous numerous times where they're bringing so many guys that Aaron Jones doesn't just have to pick up a free blitzer. There's two free blitzers. It's just, it it was a nightmare. Um, But also his receiving grade, they gave him a 52 his running grade, though, was a 75, so he, they said he was a great runner, but everything else kind of brought him down to about a 70, um, and ultimately, I shouldn't say that's the most important thing. Pass blocking is pretty freaking important. Um, next highest grade was Mr. A.J. Dillon, uh, exact same grade as Aaron Jones. He had a 77 receiving grade, though, a 77 pass blocking grade. They only gave him a 64 running grade. Don't know why. Don't care. I thought he did great. Again, I would probably come to different conclusions, but maybe he just had easier opportunities, bigger holes to run through. I don't know. Who knows how they come to the conclusions? Uh, Billy Turner actually graded out really well, which is great to see, especially on a day like uh, like we saw. I don't exactly know how because I definitely saw at least one time when he kind of just stood there and let guys run past him. But um, he also had 41 pass blocking snaps, so it's possible that he had one or two bad reps and dominated the rest of the day, but 77 pass blocking, which is phenomenal, and a 70 run blocking. I can't remember. I could probably count on one hand the amount of times he graded up positively as a pass blocker and a run blocker. In fact, I want to check that. 
So far this year, he had one other day where he graded out positively as a pass blocker. That was against Pittsburgh. He has exactly zero days where he graded out positively as a run blocker. This was simultaneously his best pass blocking and run blocking day ever. Well, not ever. I mean, you know, this year. Uh, last year, he only he makes it easy because he's such a garbage run blocker. Um, he only had three days with good run blocking. Um, against San Francisco, he did have a 70 pass blocking. So he had a 70 pass blocking and 88 run blocking. So week nine, he doubled up. Um, week 15, 91 run blocking, 77 pass blocking. So that was one. Uh, and then where's the other one? Oh, so he, he had a 66. So twice last year, he had he was positive as a run blocker and a pass blocker. So this is his third game in two years. And then uh, last year, let's see, there's one game against Detroit, one game against the Chargers, and one game against Minnesota. So we had three. So three in 2019, two in 2020, and so far he's had one this year where he grades out positively as a run blocker and a pass blocker. Very glad to see it. I just, you know, it's such a squandered opportunity. Like the one time, Billy Turner playing lights out is such a rare thing. I mean, it's true for probably most. I mean, not everybody's Elton Jenkins or Billy or uh, David Bakhtiari. Some guys are just never good at one category or the other. Usually it's run blocking. But I mean, again, when you when you get a guy like Billy Turner, that's been a consistent headache that just dominates. And it's like, yeah, but Royce is so trash. And Lucas decided to have his worst game ever. Kind of kind of takes away from that a bit. Um, coming in at number three, a guy that for some reason just refuses to have a bad day, Mercedes Lewis, again, 76 overall grades, uh, only a 55 receiving grade, um, but he only did that six times. Six times as a pass blocker, got a 75 overall grade, 17 times as a run blocker, which is his primary responsibility here, 75 overall grade. And I've mentioned in the past, his blocking was a little bit overrated. Um, he'd always been regarded as this elite pass or blocker, whether it's run blocking or pass blocking, but he's kind of been... Not quite as good recently, but this year he's been pretty lights out. Um, Chicago, he was good in both. Uh, Washington, he was nearly good in both. Arizona, nearly good in both. I mean, his lowest grade is about a 65 in either category. Um, and then Kansas City, 75 and 75 in run and pass blocking. So he's been very, very good. The, the problem is, as a receiver, the last two weeks he hasn't graded out very well. In fact, at week eight, he had a 33 receiving grade, which brought down his overall grade to a 52. But otherwise, still, again, in the last one, two, three, four, five weeks, he's had four good weeks. So Mercedes is killing it. Um, above that, another guy you love to see, John Runyon. Somebody else we're probably going to have to lean on. John Runyon, 80 overall grade, 88.6 pass blocking, which he did the majority of the time, 72.6 run blocking. You just love to see. I mean, in fact, and it's, it's nice because one thing that we need moving forward is better run blocking. And some of these guys obviously struggled, but usually pretty much the entire team minus maybe one guy struggled. You had, I mean, just so far that we've talked about, Alan Lazard was dominant. We haven't actually talked about him. Um, Dominique Daphne did a great job. He just missed the 70 overall because he was such a bad receiver, apparently. Um, Billy Turner, Mercedes Lewis, John Runyon, and then our number one overall player, Elton Jenkins, who is just killing it this year. 85 overall grade, 91.3 pass blocking. Man, I just, I'm so excited about him. And then a 75 run blocking grade. But dude, if, if, if he can do this at right tackle, and this isn't an anti-Billy thing because I want Billy Turner to be our right guard. I, I'm dead serious about that. I want him to be our right guard. I think he does a good enough job. I think he can handle it. And I think having a guy like Elton is going to help. Who's next to you makes it, I'm under no illusion that John Runyon doing so good partially had to do with Elton Jenkins doing his job. When things are a mess, things are just kind of a mess, 
right? If the guy next to you doesn't know who he's supposed to be blocking and you got to kind of come across and help out a little, it just causes confusion. But if you're just in sync and you guys are just holding down that side, it, it's going to help. And I, I just I just think if we have Billy on, on one side, Elton on the other, excuse me, excuse me, I cannot, David Bakhtiari, he's been gone so long, I just forget his name entirely. I've called him like three different names so far. Bakhtiari on one side, Elton on the other side. This could just be a dominant dude. And, and, and I'm under no illusion. I understand that right and left tackle are different. And it's possible that he's not going to be as good on the right side as he is on the left side. I don't know. I'll, I just know I'm excited about Elton Jenkins. That's all I know. 91 pass blocking. I mean, that's maybe not that impressive for Packer fans because it's like, yeah, I mean, David Bakhtiari does that all the time. But that's, that's, that's solid. Digging into the stats a little bit, there's not a massive amount that is um, interesting here. Um, I guess the one thing you could say is play action seemed to work quite well for Jordan Love. Um, if you compare the grades, 61.2 overall grade in play action. That was 10 of his dropbacks. He had five completions on eight attempts, 61 yards, uh, 7.6 yards per attempt, no touchdowns, no interceptions, no play action, which was uh, three quarters of the time, 27 overall grade, 14 of 26, 129 yards, a touchdown, and a pick. Um, something to think about. I mean, I doubt they're going to have 75% play action. That's not really how play action works, but it is notable, I guess. As far as the depth of his throws, um, kind of a weird, I mean, it's just, it's the, the numbers are so weird. They almost don't even make sense, but, um, basically he had an average grade at throws behind the line of scrimmage, an average grade at medium throws, which is 10 to 19 yards, 29 overall grade on short passes. He was 13 of 18 for 91 yards. I don't know exactly why they gave him such a bad grade, but they really hated those throws. And then deep throws 20 plus yards, which was about 15% of his throws, one of five for 35 yards. Um, again, 30 overall grade. Looking at our running backs, again, we know the basic stats. Aaron Jones, 53 yards, 4.4 yards per attempt. A.J. Dillon, 46 yards, 5.8 yards per attempt. I'm, I'm going to be bitter about that all year, the fact that the dude had six yards per carry and only eight carries. But eventually I'll, I'll learn to move on somehow. Somehow I'll manage. Uh, yards after contact. Once again, A.J. Dillon is a freak. 4.13 yards after contact. He had almost as many yards as Aaron Jones after first contact. Aaron Jones even had nearly three yards per carry after contact. Um, Aaron Jones had three missed tackles forced. A.J. Dillon had one. Longest carries, A.J. Dillon was uh, 15. Aaron Jones, nine. Uh, let's see. First downs, Aaron Jones, four. A.J. Dillon, two. And then elusiveness grade, they didn't give either a very... They gave A.J. Dillon a 34, which is... I don't know. I don't know how that's calculated, so I never know. I don't even like reading it because it's like... I, I know it's not a good grade, but I don't even know what goes into that. I thought, I thought breaking tackles would go into it but apparently not because yards after contact was a pretty impressive. Although he only had one actual broken tackle, I guess. Missed tackle forced, whatever. So I guess it's not so much that he's breaking tackles, he's just dragging people. <laughs> he didn't make anybody miss. He just, you know, the tackler eventually got him down. He just pushed him real far. That's fair. Uh, we'll just look at the defense. I don't think there's anything else that's super interesting. Just, you know, stats and whatnot. Um, I was a little upset by the defensive grades. Um, again, this, this does remind me kind of of like the, the Chiefs defense or even the Rams defense where the grades are never that good, but the system is just working. Um, but it's still annoying when, when you have one of the most Herculean efforts by a defense and it's like, yeah, like two guys were good, I guess. Like, dude, shut your mouth. Just shut your mouth. I'm going to smack you. Tell me two guys were kind of good. Highest grade, Kevin King, 79 overall grade. Uh, number two was Darnell Savage, 77. Adrian Amos with a 70.8. That's it. I know I usually start at the bottom, but that kind of annoyed me. Um, anyways, now looking at the bottom, and we'll kind of come back to that. 
Razul Douglas, 37 overall grade, which, you know, I had said before, I don't expect Razul Douglas to stay at the top. I, I just, I'm very skeptical skeptical of a guy who's shown us to be a kind of a bad football player to stay at the top. Now, I, I didn't expect a massive drop-off, and I do expect some form of a recovery, but uh, again, I'm skeptical of the idea that he's basically going to be this, like, top-end, number-two corner forever. But uh, definitely need to do better than a 36 overall grade, 33 coverage grade. Uh, Tyler Lancaster, 41.7. Kenny Clark with a 45.4 overall grade. Um, Primarily, it was his tackling and run defense that they really, really didn't like. Uh, Whitney Merciless, 52.8, so he had his first bad day. Henry Black with another bad day, 53 overall. Preston Smith got a 55. Chandon Sullivan with a 57. Chris Barnes with a 57.8. Again, ready to smack somebody. Although they did give him a good run defense grade and tackling grade. It was really just... Uh, coverage, which he had to do a bunch of that they didn't like. Um, So whatever. Uh, Jack Heflin with a 58. So about half the team, um, they gave below average grades or worse. And then again, the only good grades, Amos Savage and Kevin King. As far as run defense, uh, Kenny Clark was the lowest of anybody with the 37. Tyler Lancaster, 43. You don't like to see the main guys you want to be run defenders to to be struggling so much. Rashawn Gary also with a 49. I think we saw at least one example of that, of him trying to crash to the inside when he in, in, in losing contain, stuff like that. Uh, Preston Smith, another guy we depend on to be a good run defender, 52. Amos, 55, which is very rare for him. He still had a great tackling grade, but um, low run defense grade. Dean Lowry, 55. Razul Douglas, 57. Whitney Merciless, 58. So again, about half the guys that... Um, had some run defense snaps, were below average. Guys that graded out well, Chris Barnes was third highest with a 72, Kevin King with a 74-ish, and then Chandon Sullivan with a 75. Chandon just, uh, again, I thought he had a good day despite the fact that people are horrible people. Um, One of the things, though, that consistently stays high, and I, I do think this is a big part of the reason this defense is so good, the tackling grades were beyond great. Um, The third lowest grade on the team was a 66.8. Third lowest, basically almost good. <laughs> the only guys that that were poor, Devondre Campbell got a 54 overall grade, which is very uncharacteristic for him. He had a 62 overall grade for the day, kind of just 60s across the board. Kenny Clark, again, 26, but um, yeah, third lowest was a 66.8. Looking at average, um, the t- 13th highest out of 18, uh, 70 for Jack Heflin, Tyler Lancaster, TJ Slayton with a 70, Whitney Merciless 70, Preston 70, Rashawn 72, Burke 73, Garvin 73, Savage 78, Douglas uh, 79, Kevin King with an 80, Shannon Sullivan with an 80, and Amos with an 81. I mean, the whole team is doing a great job with the tackling, and that's that's important. Pass rush grades, as usual, everybody was average to bad. Rashawn Gary was the only one. Uh, well, Dean Lowry. Dean Lowry had a, almost a 70. Rashawn Gary with a 74. The third highest was a 64, Kenny Clark. Um, pressures were pretty non-existent. Only four players had any pressures in this entire game. Um, don't really want to get into stats, but I guess we're kind of into it. So out of out of uh, how many people had attempts? We're looking at 11, 12 people had pass rush attempts. Only four got to the quarterback at all. Uh, Preston Smith had only one pressure on 28 attempts, should have been at least three. Um, Jonathan Garvin had two pressures on 10 attempts. That's phenomenal. That's fine. That's 20%. There's no problem there. 
Dean Lowry, three on 17, no problem there. Rashawn Gary, five on 31. But we also had TJ Slayton was zero on 24. Again, I, I don't expect him to be a good pass rusher, but I would like maybe one out of 24 would be great. That's what, 4%. Um, who else? Tyler Lancaster had zero on 15, kind of iffy, I guess, but you need better than that. Kenny Clark, zero on 15. Whitney Merciless, zero on about 20. So Garvin, Lowry, and Gary carried the water for a lot of guys just getting nothing done. So that's not good enough. And again, it's not a terrible offensive line, especially the interior. Um, And we saw that Kenny Clark just got whooped, which is not great. But uh, I know Creed Humphrey's having a great day. But I mean, Kenny just got, he just got spanked, bottom line. Anyways, looking at coverage, uh, Razul, 33 overall grade was the lowest. Chris Barnes with a 46. Chandon with a 52. Henry Black with a 53. Guys that did well, Amos 71, Savage 73, Kevin King 78, and Oren Burks was the highest. He only did three, but still um, 80.4 in coverage. I played four snaps, but three of them were in coverage, 80.4 overall. Uh, we went over the pressure stats, uh, missed tackles. Nobody had more than one, so that's great, but Kenny Clark uh, missed one and had one tackle. So 50% of his opportunities he missed. So that's that's why you're going to have a bad grade. Devondre Campbell missed one and had 10, or excuse me, six. So one of seven. Uh, Chris Barnes, one of eight. And that was it. Nobody else had a missed tackle all day. Stops, Chris Barnes had four. TJ Slayton, three. Chandon, two. Lancaster King and Devondre had two. And then one for Burks, Gary, Savage, Douglas, Amos, and Preston. Looking at coverage, I'm going to sort it by yards this time just because I you know, feel like that's important. Devondre Campbell gave up the most receiving yards, but only 50 yards. Again, I'm just, I'm not mad about that. I just, I can't get mad. It's not a great day. Um, seven targets, five receptions, 50 yards. But, you know, again, if, if you tell me like the worst uh, cover guy on your team is going to give up 50 yards, I don't know, man. It's not good, but you got to understand, I mean, we had days with Kevin King and Jair where they would give up 100 yards in a game, 70, 80, 90, 100, 110 in a game. So when when the worst on your team is 50, I just can't get mad. And we're talking linebackers. The second highest was Chris Barnes at 45 yards, five targets, four receptions, 45 yards. You know, I just, I don't know, not that mad about it. Uh, the highest for a corner was Chandon. Six targets, four receptions, 37 yards. That's it. I mean, our worst corner, not even necessarily our worst corner, that was Razul as far as a grade, but statistically, 37 yards? I just, I don't care, dude. Kevin King, six targets, only three receptions for 21 yards and a pass breakup. That's that's a, I don't want to say a perfect day, but that's all I could ever ask from a corner. Let's, let's not forget Tyreek Hill is is playing in this game. And then Razul Douglas, the only reason he really graded out so poorly, and I'm sure there are other snaps where things didn't go quite great, but he gave up a touchdown. That's the biggest thing. Otherwise, five targets, two receptions, 13 yards. Did he seemingly go backwards? Yes. Did that translate into anything statistical that I should be mad about? No. I mean, again, touchdown. Yeah, that sucks. But I just I just don't. It's same with Stokes. Like, I, I just, I don't care. He gave up a touchdown. Yeah, I wish he didn't give up that touchdown. What else did he do? Well, the rest of the day, he pretty much shut the guy down. Oh, well, okay. Shucks. <laughs> what do you want me to do? I'm not supposed to be mad. I'm not mad. If we look at Tyreek Hill's um, breakdown, he was it was pretty even across our three corners. 
but you had four targets, one reception for two yards against Kevin King. So Kevin King completely locked him down. Again, if there's one thing they could add, I wish they would say how many times they lined up against him so we can get some kind of a perspective. Like if he lined up four times against Kevin King and got targeted all four times, I would want to know that. Um, if he was mostly against Kevin King and he was only targeted four times in one reception, Kevin King should get the Medal of Honor. Shannon Sullivan, three targets, two receptions, 23 yards. That's it against Tyreek Hill. And I'm guessing he was against him most because Tyreek is primarily a slot guy at this point. That's it. And then Razul Douglas, um, four targets, one reception, 12 yards. Dude, Tyreek had 11 targets, four receptions, 37 yards, no touchdowns, and a pass breakup. That was his whole day. That's not a very accomplished day. I don't know if you knew that or not. Anyways, I have had about 17 different messages about where's the podcast. It's also 9.30, which means despite all the work that I've put into this, which is why I'm, it makes me so depressed, the numbers are going to be horrible. Nobody's going to listen because the vast majority come between like 4 in the morning and 6 or 7. And then after that, people are like, meh, you had your chance. But anyways, you folks have yourselves a great day. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.